Thank you for downloading the Barbecue Central Show. Maybe you're listening to this now because you missed the live version Tuesdays from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Barbecue Central Show is brought to you by these sponsors, which I am extremely grateful for. The Barbecue Guru, makers of automatic temperature control devices. Their website, thebbqguru.com. Big Papa Smokers, creators of some of the best rubs out there and retailer of many different grills and barbecue products. Their website, bigpapasmokers.com. Butcher's Barbecue, creators of injections, rubs, and seasonings. Their website, butchersbbq.com. Green Mountain Grills, some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. And their website is greenmountaingrills.com. Also by Cookshack, some of the best industrial electric smokers out there today. Also pellet cookers as well. Their website is cookshack.com. Cookinpellets.com. If you want to fire those pellet cookers that I just talked about, visit cookinpellets.com to buy your pellets right now. Also by the Chops Power Injector. Forget about using one needle to inject your meats. The Chops Power Injector system has four needles for your injecting pleasure. You can visit them at barbecuekansascity.com. That's B-A-R-B-E-Q-U-E, KansasCity.com. And by the Sam's Club National Barbecue Tour, you can visit kcbs.us slash samstour for results, to register your team, or to see where the next event will be taking place. And by Pit Barrel Cooker, one of the most unique and efficient cookers out there in the market right now. Visit their website at pitbarrelcooker.com. And by Unknown Barbecue Accessories. You can visit them at unknownbbq.com slash shop. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, welcome back. 216-220-0966, Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. All right, my first guest tonight is one of the most recognizable faces within the barbecue and grilling industry. He's seen success in the restaurant industry with a uh, very famous Big Bob Gibson's restaurant, also seen success on the television as an author and as a barbecue competitor, and he happens to slum it up here every once in a while as well. Let's go ahead and head on over to the hotline and welcome back. A friend of the show, Chris Lilly, joining us. Chris, how are you, bud? Uh, doing fantastic tonight. I appreciate the invitation to jump on your show. Absolutely. My pleasure, Chris. Always make, uh, appreciate you making time. Uh, you know, a couple different places uh, that I'd want to kind of run around with you here tonight. Uh, first and foremost, obviously, we have to kind of take a quick look back at this past weekend. Another Memphis in May comes and goes. Another overall grand championship chalked up for the Big Bob Gibson crew. Uh, breaking new ground to boot, being the first team to win this event four times. So, you know, I guess looking at just that accomplishment alone, Chris, have you and the team been able to kind of really understand the feat and, and kind of soak it in and, and realize what this might mean in the annals of competition barbecue? You know, I guess, uh, you know, thinking back, uh, I guess I'd, a lot of my realization on how difficult it is to, to um to just do well in Memphis, you know, came back several years ago. We, you know, we, we, we started the first, first time we cooked in 1997, we came in 10th place and then fifth. And then we came in first and we had a string of first places, six in a row at Memphis and May for the port shoulder. And then 
it became a little hard almost to reach finals. Uh, you know, we had a dry spell there, and what I took for granted before, uh, it really started sinking in how how hard it is not only to uh, just to make the finals at Memphis in May. So um, that's when the realization set in. So th- these last several years, you know, I haven't taken anything for granted whatsoever. Um, you know, I just appreciate being there and being able to cook there. For me, the biggest thrill at Memphis in May is still making finals, cutting the 270 teams down to three shoulders, three hog, three ribs. Uh, that, when the golf cart pulls up and says, hey, congratulations, you're in finals, that is the biggest thrill. It's not standing on stage wondering if you're going to win grand championship. Um, uh, but I tell you what, it's, it was a thrill. It was a thrill. Our team had a good time and we, uh, we let Beale Street know we had a good time later on that night. <laughs> well, I don't doubt it. Uh, Chris Lilly joining us here on the show. Uh, Chris, in regards to the cook and the events of this past weekend, anything unusual that goes on that you didn't expect that you had to contend with or was pretty much business as usual? <laughs> well, did somebody <laughs> did somebody give you these questions to ask this one in particular? <laughs> because, gosh, you couldn't have... Yeah, something major happened to us. Um, I, I ordered my meat beforehand a month ago, uh, probably, and then I, uh, a week before the contest, I... Uh, touch base with the uh my meat purveyor to make sure everything was ready to go i got a call at the first of last week you know the week of the big memphis in may contest and uh they told me the meat did not come (laughs) really did not come in so uh so basically i had to uh to uh do some last minute switches and phone calls and everything so anyway, I was overnighted some some pork shoulders straight to Memphis. I picked them up at a meat and seafood company in Memphis, and uh, they're frozen hard as a brick bat. No way. <laughs> so yeah, I cooked Memphis and made with frozen shoulders this year. So so take that for what it's worth. I'm usually a huge proponent of, especially in pork, to cook fresh. Uh, you know, and choose according to color and marbling, and that's a big one for me. Um, but uh, this year, we cook frozen shoulders. Wow, so <laughs> this is going to be the new uh, fad that is running around the competition. <laughs> See, frozen shoulders, ladies and gentlemen. Chris uh, Chris Lilly putting it to the test and winning. Let me ask you hey. something. When, when you make the, you know, painstaking plans of trying to get the meat that far in advance, you're using somebody, obviously, you trust, and then, when it's that close to the event, getting told that it's not going to happen, I mean, are you really disappointed and, and like, oh, man, we're really behind the eight ball? Or is it, okay, it's disappointment, let's regain composure and let's start looking at another direction so we can keep this ball rolling? Uh, disappointed is definitely wor- the word. But, uh, but yeah, you're disappointed that the purveyor didn't come through and, uh, you know, provide you with, you know, exactly what you ordered. But... Um, being in the barbecue world, especially com- uh, uh, competition cookers, know out there that you've got to shift gears. Uh, you know whether you're cooking and your meat is too far done, or if it's if it's uh, not done enough and you've got to increase the temperature. I mean, barbecuing is all about shifting gears. You've got so much time to cook, but you have to make those last minute, last second adjustments. Uh, in contests, uh, whether it be Memphis, the big one at Memphis in May or any KCBS contest, I continually make adjustments during my cook. 
Um, I don't go by a set to cook time or a set schedule. You know, I have schedules, but something always comes up that you have to make those adjustments. And if you can't make adjustments on a fly, whether it be on uh, getting your meat beforehand or um, or jamming the temperature to get something done, then then you're not going to be successful. So. So, you know, it, what's done is done. You just take it in stride, make your adjustments, and and, uh, and see what comes out of it. Chris Lilly from Big Bob Gibson is joining us here, recapping the win this past week at Memphis in May. Chris, did you know through the first round of judging, you know, as you're getting ready to, to turn in through that first set, and you've obviously tasted your award-winning pork time and time and time again, does this past weekend, as you're kind of tasting it and evaluating it, do you think you have something special here, or is it kind of like, eh, you know, we're, we're probably there somewhere? How, how did you guys feel about it, turning it in? Uh, we felt great, uh, without a doubt. You know, last year uh, we made the finals. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were, um, they don't do a reserve grand champion at Memphis in May, but uh, we actually were the reserve grand champion. We missed grand by, I think, like .43 tenths of a point, something like that. So, um uh, we lost a sweet swine of mine, fantastic team. They cook a, fan, a great shoulder, so they were first in shoulder. We were second, but our school was uh, pretty high in itself. So I felt good going into this one. You know, we're going to fire back the same thing. I, I made a couple of adjustments on my cook time and um, and refueling time. I, I, I wanted to, and and how much meat, uh, how much uh, charcoal to wood ratio I used as well. I wanted to protect my color a little bit. And, um, and I wanted my meat to come up a little bit quicker than it did uh, than it did last year. I wanted a little bit more rest time on it. So I made some small adjustments in in cooking technique, not in the recipe itself, and it played out for us uh, really well this year. So so uh, you know just just a small adjustment there, but every little bit helps. But I felt felt great. The meat and preliminaries was fantastic, but. Um, one thing I do at Memphis in May is I save my absolute best shoulder and stagger it just in make for finals. So if I don't make finals, the best shoulder of the day will never get served. Um, and I choose my uh, choose my pork just like I choose a pork chop at the grocery store or anything else. It's it's color and marbling. Um, uh, you know, I, I get a uh, pork that is a nice uh, reddish pink color, as opposed to a pinkish red color, and then one that has uh, you know ample marbling that'll hold that moisture. How many shoulders are you cooking for the for the turnips? Memphis in May, you want to have one shoulder for each preliminary judge. You want to have. I like to do two shoulders for my blind box because I can't sell those shoulders. I mean, those shoulders have to speak for themselves. And there's no garnish as well, so you really got to do a heavy box and fill that box up. So two shoulders for the blind box, one for each preliminary judge, and you stagger your best shoulder for the final. And that's what you want to go into Memphis cooking. And you basically, for the people that don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you basically have like two rounds of judging. You have the initial round. Uh, the people in finals are then told that they make it, and then you have you kind of restart again, if you will. Yeah, Memphis in, Memphis in May, you know, you've got usually around 270 teams. You can only enter one category in the professional event. It's either whole hog, ribs, or whole shoulder. After you cook in preliminaries, there is four blind judges. So you turn in a blind, jo- blind box just like in any other competition. 
uh, those four judges score you, and then you have three on-site judges that come separately, and those judges score you. So you have a total of seven judges in preliminary, four blind, three on-site. They score you. And uh, at the end of preliminaries, the top three rib teams, the top three shoulder teams, the top three whole hog teams make finals. And then in finals, it is head-to-head, it is comparison scoring, and it is four judges that come to all three, all nine sites, eat that barbecue on site, and determine who wins the grand champion, who uh, wins shoulder and rib and whole hog in first, second, and third place. And most of the time, even after scoring, the judges don't know who, who wins because many times it comes down to, you know, a point or just a couple points deciding. So there's no way for them to tabulate it in their heads, you know, um, because of the weighted scoring system. So you make it into the final round, and uh, pork winner is announced. It's you guys, obviously. Uh, and it's now down to the competition of the competition. You have, uh, well, let me let me backtrack here for a second. You make it, you know, pork is announced. You guys are winner, and it's kind of that competition within the competition. And uh, you know, in other words, you said you were ecstatic to make finals. So I'm guessing if uh, the grand champion of overall wouldn't have happened, you would have been still ecstatic winning the pork again, or is there a little bit of a drop off if you make it to the finals and then you know don't take the whole thing? Mm, if I make finals, I want to take the whole thing. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> it, you've got to win. Well, you've got to win pork first. So uh, you know that's the first thought. Uh, we had a team uh, that were, were cooking against us in finals this year. Uh, one especially that has has won Memphis in May before the Red Hot Smokers, Wayne and Linda. They are absolutely phenomenal cooks, and their specialty is shoulder. So we were competing head to head against in a shoulder category against a, a Memphis in May Grand Champion. You look over at the uh, at the whole hog, Melissa Cookston. Um, with Yazoo Delta Q. She is a two-time winner at Memphis in May in Whole Hog, and she has won her, I think, uh, three times yep. with her Whole Hog, uh, three time, three first place and maybe two grand championships. Um, she also won the Kingsford Invitational first year, competing head-to-head against the winner of the Jack Daniels American Royal, uh, Pitmasters champion, uh, and so on and so on. So, so this, this girl can cook. So I knew my, I knew it was going to be a tough, a tough go. And then looking up at over ribs, Tuffy Stone is cooking there. Cool Smoke made final in ribs. So you know, finals. I'm going head to head to head against some of the best cooks in the country. Uh, so I knew it was going to be, I knew it was going to be tough. But uh, I knew I did good product to put out. Let me ask you something about Yazoo's Delta Q. I mean, I've followed them for a number of years now. They've seen a tremendous amount of success within the NBA network and at Memphis and May. Obviously, there are two different things, but, you know, and I know you're kind of a student of the game. You just exhibited that here in your last answer. You know, Melissa and Pete have been very focused on the restaurant openings, the new locations. Uh, she's writing a book, All Good Stuff. Uh, as Melissa said here on the show, but you know, a few weeks ago she was on uh, talking about uh, the new cookbook, and I asked her about Memphis and May, and she's you know kind of nervous. Uh, said they hadn't really been out competing, kind of on that routine as they normally would, and she didn't really feel overly confident that they would have a great showing. And seeing them take whole hog again and be up for overall grand championship again, 
you know, what do you think that speaks to them as pitmasters and how well their team process holds, even though they're not out there doing it frequently? <laughs> I, Greg, I think she was sandbagging. That girl's not going to forget how to cook, especially <laughs> in the restaurant when she's cooking every day, you know, and cooking. It, you know, it's it just obviously comes natural to her, and she's got the – um, uh, she, you know, she's got the talent, uh, without a doubt. So, no, I would have called bull on that answer if I were you. She's, uh, she was ready. She was ready to go, and she is, uh, she is competitive. And, uh, um, I tell you, she has been busy, though. She's got a great cookback book out, Smoking in the Boys' Room, and she's opening restaurants. So, yes, yeah, she, I'm sure she was extremely busy coming into the, uh, to Memphis in May. But uh, she's good enough to overcome that. Chris, when you look back at the very first win at Memphis in May and then the one this past weekend, mix in the other two in between, uh, how has your pork shoulder cooking methods changed over the years, or perhaps have they remained uh, exactly to the same uh, for the most part? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I guess, you know, you look back at Memphis in May, and, you know, I'm very proud of, of, of our – uh, I guess our record at Memphis and May, we've been cooking it since 1997. Uh, we've never finished out of the top 10 uh, in, in all those years. And then we had that run of six, uh, six uh, first place shoulders in a, in a row that, gosh, I couldn't even fathom doing that one, that again. I don't know how that worked out. But yes, um, uh, I would say for, um, started cooking in 97 uh our we won uh in 99 for our pork shoulder from 99 the next year six six or seven years we didn't change a thing and it's injection a dry rub put the pork on the pit uh use a combination of kingsford charcoal and pig nut hickory forget about it let it cook take it off serve the judges that was our that was what we did um uh, after we made that run of wins, um, we sort of, I told you, we sort of fell down a little bit. You know, we're fixing, you know, finishing like fourth place, fifth place, sixth place right in there. Uh, so I get to talking around and I say, you know, I just can't get over the hump. So I start talking to people that cook the circuit, that cook the NBN circuit, you know, what's going on. And, um, I still remember a guy asked me, he said, well, uh, he said, uh, what, what sauce are you using to glaze your pork? And I said, I don't glaze my pork. You know, I just pull it straight off the, straight off the pit, put it in the box and serve my sauce on the side. He said, you're the only one out there not glazing. <laughs> so that sort of woke me up. <laughs> I gotta cook, keep, if I'm not gonna cook as, as much as these other teams, I gotta cook, keep my thumb on the pulse and start asking more questions and talk to more people that do. And um, the first year we went back to glazing uh, was uh, 2011, and that's when we won the grand championship again. So, it, it, you know, it takes uh, – I can credit a lot of our, my success at Memphis in May, uh, you know, what I do in the restaurant and, uh, and uh, you know, what Big Bob Gibson has done over those years to sort of build the platform for me to work on, off of. But, gosh, i got to give credit to a lot of the people out there that, you know, cook – Memphis uh, MBN and KCBS events, you know, every weekend, and uh, and then I call them up one week and say, hey, you know, what are the judges liking? You know, what's the what what are the flavor profiles and stuff? I got a lot of great friends in barbecue, and I will not hesitate to uh, you know ask them their opinions and questions, and a lot of my success 
you know, comes from uh, my good friends in barbecue that are um, that are just uh, great enough to uh, give me a helping hand. So let me ask you this. Uh, Big Bob Gibson's obviously has dominated uh, pork at Memphis and May over the years. Uh, you've talked briefly about the, the run of six in a row. You've won the whole thing uh, now four times, uh, 2000, 2003, 2011. Uh, now you're here again, three years removed from the most recent win in uh, 2011. One has to start thinking that perhaps at this point, <laughs> Big Bob's is not only the best Memphis and May pork cook of all time, but perhaps the best pork cook in general of all time. Yes or no? <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, it's about time you started cooking another category at Memphis and May. Why would you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've talked about that and I've tried, but my, I'll blame it on my father-in-law, uh, Don McLemore. He, he was Big Bob Gibson's grandson. I'm going to blame it on him and say he won't let me. <laughs> I would stick with what's winning myself. but <laughs> Yeah, I, t- I tell you, you know, I don't know. There's so many great pork cooks out there, and uh, and it's definitely our specialty and has given us, you know, probably the most success that we've had, well, without a doubt, at Memphis in May. Um, you know, it's a pork that we've actually uh, won Jack Daniels with, and, and, and we've won at the American Royal with our pork. So, um, it, but it hasn't been quite as consistent, you know, in KCBS contests. Um, and, you know, I'll attribute that to, you know, it's it's different at Memphis in May and that, you know, a lot of times you serve the pork right off the pit at Memphis in May where KCBS, you have the chance to to alter it with, uh, you know, taking it off and pulling it and doing sauces and dry rub applications and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when the when the judges come on site, they sort of keep you honest. You know, they see the whole shoulder on the pit. They see you pull it off and you and you and you break it up for them. Um, but uh, we've done, you know, all in all, we've done pretty well across the board. And I can't complain about uh, I can't complain about that. But I love to cook pork. Um, I will say this. I can attribute a lot of my success to that's what we cook every day in the restaurant. We cook old pork shoulders, and that's, you know, that's what we do. We cook a lot of pork. So, uh, you know, some of the teams out there that don't definitely don't get the practice that I do of cooking pork every day in the restaurant. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of that things goes back to Big Bob Gibson. <laughs> If you got questions about barbecue or grilling, maybe as a hobby or even a business, looking to get an expert's point of view, why not ask Dr. Barbecue? You can submit your questions by clicking on the Ask Dr. Barbecue tab on the website. The doctor is in. Here's Ray Lampy with his nurse, Greg Rempe. Dr. Barbecue. All right, just like that, it is the Dr. Barbecue segment. And so joining me right now... From headquarters is Ray Lamp. Hey, Ray. Hey, Greg. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. You're very fired up tonight. I know, man. I am ready to go. Um, there there was a great thing that I was going to – here's the thing, Ray, and you have no idea, but I'm going to pull the curtain back just for you because I know nobody's listening. So I put in hours and hours during the week whenever I can kind of like buy the time to prep for the show and do the research and kind of do some pre-interviews and stuff. And I remember at one point I was like, hey, if you get the show on iTunes, review it, because that 
gives you a little bit more show promotion. Maybe you end up on the, the front page of whatever section you're on. So today I was doing something in iTunes, and I pulled up the show and took a review. And the last two reviews were a little lackluster. <laughs> so I was going to read those, but... Uh, as luck would have it, I ran out of time. So I can uh, wait if you want. Yeah, well, that's all right. Uh, maybe uh, next week we'll have a, a little bit extra time to, to go over that. But uh, sometimes it's uh, sobering to see what people think of your baby, and then you just have to remember that, you know, opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. <laughs> I wasn't mentioned, was I? No, you weren't. Thank goodness. It was it was all me uh, being a uh, a money grubbing whore from uh, what I could ascertain. But that's all right. That's what it's all about, uh, right? Oh, I'm sure, you're getting rich on this. Huh? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm living the lifestyle like nobody could possibly believe. Uh, Ray, Chris, best Christmas gift that you got this year? I got a meat slicer, a really nice meat slicer. You got it. I've been wanting a little upgrade. I had one of them hundred and twenty dollar ones, and it just doesn't cut it. And I, I need to make Italian beef, Chicago-style Italian beef here in Florida. And and uh, I found a, a good deal on a used one. Sandy bought it for me for Christmas. So is it good enough that you would recommend? Uh, yeah, except you just have to find a used one. It's a $1,200 slicer, oh, and, oh, and I found a used one for 400 So, All right. you know, but the, what I would recommend is go to a restaurant supply place. It's called, it's like a light-duty commercial slicer because you don't want a great big heavy one. And it's like a third of a horse. It's a it's a nice slicer. It would cost about a thousand bucks new, Ooh. but you should be able to find one in a used restaurant supply store, and you'll be glad you did. All right, uh, Ray got his meat slicer because I remember last uh, last month you were like, "Man, I, I really want a meat slicer." So I'm glad you uh, glad Santa got it for you. That's great. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and uh, I got a, a small handful of uh, Facebook questions here that we posted, and uh, you know some are. Beginner stuff. Some I have no idea how you're going to answer, but that's why you're the doctor. You're uh, you're well versed and educated here. So uh, the first one is from a guy named Jason King, and he is asking: Has Ray used the Kamado style rotisserie inserts? Uh, and I believe there's a name called like a Kamado Mate that's probably generic to the ceramic cookers. Uh, and if you have, what do you think about it? I, I haven't used any of the recent wave of them. I, I had one years ago. I, a guy, every, you know, as you can imagine, people try to sell us everything you can imagine, a big green egg. And a guy sent some over that was a prototype. And all it was was a bushing that you stuck inside the lid. So the lid just rested on this bushing, and it was just a straight rotisserie like a gas grill would have. Well, it was nice and all, and it kind of worked, but it, it's pointless on the big green egg to me. Um, why would you, you don't need that on a big green egg. The way the thing cooks, it just doesn't matter. Um, guys just want to have cool gadgets. So I haven't tried any of the new ones. I sort of figure I'm going to have the same opinion of it, that it's just a lot of flash for no real reason. Um, I just honestly, and I'm, you know, I know it sounds like I'm a suck up, but after 12 years of cooking on a green egg, I just am not looking for anything to make it cook any better. I think it cooks really good. So, no, I haven't tried those, and I doubt that I will. You know, you I recently, let me tell you a story, too. Yeah. I recently tried something, and uh, I, I was interested. One of these aftermarket things that came around for the ceramic cookers, and I saw it. So I went and paid full price for it at, at a place where people would see me, though. There was nothing I could do about it. But I didn't ask anybody for a discount or a free one, and I paid full price for the thing, put it in my car, took it home, tried it at home, and I have my opinion about it. Well, I found out from a dealer that this a-hole – had called the dealer and said, yeah, Ray Lampy bought one of these at full price. 
and and tried to sell use that as a selling point. And I saw the guy and I told him off because it was really completely out of line. Uh, so you know, welcome to my world. I, I so I I try to stay away from that stuff. Right. You'd mentioned that the the big green egg, and I mean, if if you know anything about the big green egg, uh, you know the cooker itself and and the warmth and the history. Uh, beyond reproach but the other thing that you know or you quickly find out if you become an egghead is the fact that literally there are limitless amounts of accessories that that all of a sudden the cheapest thing that you could buy is like the double xl egg but you know all of a sudden you spend sixty thousand dollars in in crazy accoutrements and accessories are is like uh ed fisher and, and the big green egg folks just getting constantly barraged with buy my idea or help me with my accessory or this is going to make you the next billion dollars or what i don't know about anymore probably um in back in the day you know we were a lot more they were a lot more accessible um and they did constantly uh and you know some of it's cool and some of it is just out there um never fails when i'm in a group of guys with big green eggs you say, how many engineers or IT guys are in the room? And half the room is engineers. It's just for whatever reason, it just clicks for those guys. So they buy it. They are they can afford the, the thousand bucks to get one. They bring it home. They're, they, they're the kind of guy that gets it and will buy it. But then they get it home and they want to fix it for us anyway. So it's just funny. They But they still like it. And they just love gadgets, you know, and they love inventing them and they love buying them and they love using them. And, you know, to me, it's not my decision, but some of it would make sense for us. Some of it is just crazy. Uh, although there's been some crazy stuff that sold a lot more than I ever thought would. I told Fred, Fred, Shotgun Fred, that the guru was a really bad idea that nobody needed oh. that. <laughs> yeah. So apparently I was wrong about that one. Yeah, who's laughing now? Um, all right. Uh, next question is from Scotty Johnson and says, uh, can you ask Ray what his most memorable experience was being on the board of directors of KCBS. Now, let me point out something. For the people that don't know Scotty Johnson, A, his foundation is spectacular, CancerSuckChicago.com, and if you haven't heard about it and you're in the barbecue community, you're living under a rock. Uh, so support that. But secondarily, Scotty has really, to me, seemed to have had an axe to grind publicly over the last six and eight and ten months about the board and the KCBS. He's also threatened about coming out of retirement and doing maybe one and a half to two competitions this year. Um, what's his deal with the with the board? I hadn't noticed the chip on his shoulder. He seems fine to me. Really? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, so answer his question. What was your, uh, your favorite experience, your most memorable experience, which I guess could be negative as well? Yeah, I saw this, this question earlier, and I, I, I actually a few came to mind that I can't repeat. But I will tell you, I was on the board when we made the rule that the reps were not allowed to drink any longer while they were working. And, uh, and there was nothing they could do. We had caught a couple of them red handed and it was a pretty bad situation. And, and there were, but there were people on the board that did not want to see that happen. And, uh, people in the room, I should say, uh, not necessarily elected board members, but we'll leave it at that. And, and but there was nothing they could do about it. So we, we, Jim Ninian was there. I don't remember who actually made the motion, but there was such a shitty things that had happened that, that nobody could vote. You know, they couldn't stop us. So we made the rule. And as far as I know, some of them people have been trying to change that rule over ever since. But in, you know, in what possible way does it make sense for the people that are officiating the contest to be able to drink? So that, that's a moment that was pretty bizarre and, and you'd be amazed how, 
how uncomfortable the whole situation was, but I'm pretty proud that we did it. Uh, I mean, it sounds uh, tongue-in-cheek for me to say, but that has to be kind of a a galvanizing or or defining moment because, I mean, think about it now. If you had judges for the amount of expense – that these guys are going through and, and the, the expense of cookers and the expense of the meats and the expense of getting out there, to have guys that might be half in the bag or worse in a judging tent and their palates are completely dusted off because they've been sucking back on grandpa's old cough medicine for the last well, I'm you know, about two the reps, years. Not, not the judges. The judges, I think, were never allowed to drink. Oh. I'm talking about the reps. Oh, basically, oh. reps getting drunk on Friday night. Oh. And I mean, you know, some of them would have a beer, and some were like <laughs> one guy. He he got drunk drinking moonshine, passed out in a team's camp, and threw up. No, oh! while he he was repping the contest on a wow. Friday. Wow! Oh my. Yeah, so that's uh, that's probably not the, the 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 image that KCBS wants to be putting out there. No, they really don't want me telling these stories either. But I don't give a shit. Yeah, that's right. You're not on the board anymore. All right. So that's your most oh. memorable experience, you say? Uh, that's the one I'll talk about. There, there was all, right. all guys. Fair oh, enough. Um, next one is from Shane. Let me go back for a sec. Yeah. You know, one of the things you said, you know, it was a it was a defining moment. It was. Yeah. It, it, what was happening was the thing was growing up, and, and some people just didn't want to accept it or didn't want to face it or didn't believe it. But the thing was growing up. It was becoming important. You know, I mean, when the contests were just in the, in the parking lot at the Golden Ox, it wasn't a big deal. When all of a sudden there was fifty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars on the line, this was important. And and I think it was a defining moment because it really was growing up. Absolutely. Uh, Ray Lampy joining us here on the show, by the way, drbbq.com, his website. If you have a question for uh, Ray and I to uh, chat around on the next offering of Ask Dr. Barbecue, send it or uh, hit up askdrbbq.com, and uh, you can go ahead and submit from there. Next question, Ray, is from Shane McClure who says, uh, Ray, I'm a backyard guy. I've been considering injecting brisket before smoking it. Is there a go-to injection that Dr. Barbecue uses for brisket? And here's something that I want to say first before you answer, right? Because um, I, back when I started, uh, injecting really was kind of, you know, it was it was it was mostly fab, and uh, there were still I don't know if the majority of guys weren't doing it. Well, the majority of guys still probably weren't doing it for both uh, pork butt and beef when i was uh just kind of getting into the show and stuff because i remember fast eddie saying that he had just kind of you know started doing pork at that point and, and whatever but uh, there was obviously a, a definitive tipping point when everybody just started doing it all together but as a backyard guy because that's what i am uh, i thought it was completely worthless why would i inject this is what the competition guys i'm not competing but but then uh, you know i i gave it a shot and i gotta tell you it made a unbelievable difference in the finished product. And I'm not doing all the crazy techniques and all this other stuff, but a rub and an injection, and it made a world of difference. So I don't think any backyarder should be averse to trying uh, not only injection, but whatever the guys on the competition circuit are doing. You know, to, yeah, I agree with you, but some of that stuff that the competition guys do, I don't agree with. But the injection, yeah, absolutely. You know, I go back to the early days of this. You know, we were trying to figure out how to make our briskets better. And along came Joe Ames. And Joe Ames created uh, Fab B and and told us all, that, you know, explained it. I had conversations with Joe in the early days, and he showed us, explained what this was about and what it would do to the brisket. And don't, you know, it damn, if it didn't do it, we were 
winning. If you ever watched that first year of barbecue shows when I was cooking against Myron and Ed Royth was talking all this shit about he didn't like that stuff injected in the brisket. And I was laughing because I injected a bunch of Fab B in my brisket and Myron injected a bunch of fruit juice because he, he was at that time. Myron was really just a pork cook. And uh, and I kicked his ass. And, and <laughs> you know, it was it was obvious that this was different and it really worked. And then I was a test pilot with David Busco when uh, we when he started to make the, the products that he's making now and tried some of that stuff. You know, I was it's, that's why I, I, I really have a hard time. Last year was the first year in since the 80s that I did not cook a barbecue contest. And I just don't have the drive anymore because we were we were really test piloting this stuff. It was brand new. We, when I started, you, there was no such thing as buying a rug. You had to make your own um you know, and, and I, I hate to sound like the, like that old guy, but I just kind of bored by these guys that just do the exact same thing with a bunch of products they buy every week. It just doesn't look like that much fun to me. I like to cook. I don't like I call them technicians. And I know that's about, probably not very nice. but That's what I think of it. But so, yeah, I'm a big to get back on the track. I am a big fan of injecting. I don't do it at home just because I don't bother. Um, I don't cook a lot of briskets at home. But even if I did, I probably wouldn't. Because I don't mind it being a little chewy or a little, uh, you know, a little dry. It's brisket. I'll just put some Jew on it or something. Uh, I, I just I understand how brisket is, and I'd rather eat it, not inject it. For a competition, I would never not inject it. And if I was using it, I would use um, what's David's stuff called? I'm oh, I'm spacing out. Butcher's barbecue. I would use a butcher barbecue. And when I was at the last days, I was competing. I was using that uh, prime dust he was recommending. If I was you and I was wanting to cook injected briskets, I would call David and ask him what he's doing these days. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ray Lampy joining us here on the show, answering your questions. Uh, last one is from Aaron Jefferson. And it says, uh, Greg, I'm going to compete solely with a big green egg this season. Can you ask the doc what challenges I may face with competing with the eggs? Solely, because well, you know a lot of guys like to do multiple cookers for you know different meats and you know things of this nature. As a as an egg cooker yourself, you know what 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 can he look forward to, and and what should he be you know potentially guarding against? I guess. Yeah, that's what I would be thinking of it as an advantage because I, I assume he's got more than one. Um, you need at least three. You could have something off in time for the uh, for the chicken to get done, but you need at least three of them to do it. I feel. You have your brisket on one, your pork butt on one. Although I once won a cook-off in, in Wisconsin with a large egg and a medium egg, but I had to get the stuff off really early. I got lucky and it worked out. Um, but I don't see any disadvantages to it. I mean, you got to move the eggs around, you know, but take out wheels. They got that round thing you put on the bottom and rolls around. Uh, I strap them to the wall. I haul them all over the country. I, I just don't see that as a problem. Um, I, I just don't see any problem with it at all. I think you're in good shape. Uh, just as long as you got enough, you need three. You need one to cook a butt or two. You need one to cook a brisket or two. And you gotta, you almost need a third one to be able to start your ribs. You can't count on all that stuff being done, but you can count on it being done in time for chicken. So I think three eggs will do it. Four is even better. Um, I, yeah, I think you're fine. Do you suggest, and I'm not mentioning this because they're the longest running sponsor of the show, but uh, do you suggest uh, any kind of a, a pit temperature control device, or, or do you think that in the beginning it's up to the pit master to, to really learn the fire management and the drafting of a cooker, regardless of what you have before you get into that stuff? No, a, a year or two after I told Shotgun Fred that it wasn't going to work, I became a big fan, and I've <laughs> used barbecue gurus ever since. Um, now I got a, a drawer full of them outside for competing. For competing, I would always use them because you just don't want to give yourself that 
that error, you know. You just can't mess up, and you want to stay right on temp all night. You want to turn it up 10 degrees, you can, without a whole lot of fuss. I, I think I'm a big fan of those things for overnight cooking all the time. Uh, Ray Lampy joining me here on the show. Uh, drbbq.com is his website. Uh, Ray, we've got a couple minutes left, so I want to circle back to something that you said when we were talking about the injections. Um, you had mentioned uh, kind of offhandedly that there were some things going on in competition barbecue right now that you don't agree with, and I was wondering if you couldn't you know, list a couple of those out. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I, I had the pleasure of judging the Jack this year, the American Royal Invitational, um what else did i judge i've, I've judged you know I, i've been out there and judged some of the top food in the country this year and uh it, it, it's just it's so similar for one you know everybody's just nobody has the and i don't know it's probably a smart thing to do but i just hate that everybody's doing the exact same thing it, nobody uses straight blues hog anymore and i know there's a bunch of knockoff blues hogs but they've all got that hint of that flavor this stuff's exceedingly sweet. I mean, some of it was just ridiculous. Um, and, and the pork, I mean, what is going on with that? What the hell is all those different pieces of the pork butt? That's ridiculous. It all kind of tastes and feels the same. It, it's, it, it's just, I just think it's ridiculous. There's no barbecue joint on the planet where you would get that any pork. And you close to that. I actually said that to Darren Worth one day, and he said, no, that's not true. We serve money muscle, but they <laughs> roast it, serve it with gravy and mashed potatoes. For you know, They cook so many butts that they just, like, one day a week, they cut all the money muscles off, and it's a weekly special. But nobody on the planet is serving that. So I, to me, it barely qualifies as barbecue. Maybe it doesn't. I don't even know. I just don't get that. Why, why don't you just put some pork in the box? How does that make it better? And then the chicken. The chicken's just ridiculous. Oh, I judged that thing down in Homestead, the uh, um, the Michael Mixon thing, whatever they're calling yeah, it. Yeah, like the, the Speedway Racer barbecue thing smoking or whatever. Track. Yeah, yeah smoking at the track. So that was top 10 top teams as well. Uh, the chicken is just embarrassing to me. I'm sorry. I was, I was sitting with Byron, um, Bad Byron, a couple a couple months ago, having a couple beers, and and we were talking about it. Like, is that even barbecue? If you take some chicken and put it in a pan full of margarine and cook it in your barbecue pit, and then put a bunch of sweet goopy sauce on it, and it actually goes on the grill for ten minutes, is that even barbecue? And I contend it may not be. I would say no if I was forced to make a decision on that. Um, and I've been around a long time, you know, I know it sounds bitter. I, I, I feel like I'm becoming Paul Kirk some days. I'm just a, a angry old prick, but I, but I really don't feel that way. You know, I won two barbecue contests in 2011. It's not that long ago. Um, I just feel it's gotten so every, and you can't blame you. You spent a lot of money and these guys go cook so much. You can't blame them for not wanting to do different things and, yeah. and lose. It's just a shame that it has somehow evolved to that because there's no rule that says you have to turn in thighs with mushy skin. But there's a whole lot of judges that will talk about the bite through skin. Fuck that. It's chicken. When I put chicken on my smoker, sometimes the chicken's crispy. Sometimes it's rubbery. So what? That's what smoked chicken is like. It, it's not mushy. Uh, so, yeah. Any, is that enough for you? Wow, Ray Lampy shot out of a cannon. Boom, bring it. Hey, I'm serious about that stuff. It really doesn't bother me. Because I, 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 I wish that they, somehow they needed to or need still need to adjust the rules to reward a little bit of creativity. I, I see almost none. 
And I think it's wrong. Yeah, I totally agree. And I've uh, railed on the the same uh, ideas and and what's happening out there for what seems to be years now. Uh, We're talking with Ray Lampy, Dr. Barbecue. Uh, He is joining me for the monthly Ask Dr. Barbecue segment, a great one to kick off the beginning of the year in 2016. And uh, we will do it again in the Lover's Month of February, Ray. Thanks for coming up. Always a pleasure, Greg. Talk to you soon. All right, there he is, Ray Lampy, Dr. Barbecue. Wow. Look out, ladies and gentlemen. Ray Lampy has something to talk about tonight, and it is uh, the craziness of what is deemed competition barbecue. Hoof! Uh, my first guest tonight made his appearance on his uh, on this show last October. Hit huge with the audience. He owns Cigars and Stripes Barbecue Lounge in the Chicagoland area. Let's go ahead and head over to the hotline and welcome back Ronnie Lott to the show. Ronnie, how are you, bud? Doing all right. What is this? Okay. All right. We're are we live on the big show or what? We're live on the really big show, really big barbecue show. Are you uh, are you totally stoked or what? I, oh, of course. Of course. What the hell is over your left shoulder, Ronnie? You have devils and angels over there, or what? Yeah. Oh, these are. Uh, well, you came right out of the out of the box. Uh, well, listen, these are. Uh, th- those are six barrels of beer. Six barrels of beer? Yeah, that's right. You put beer in them. These particular ones here are from uh, a company called Evil Twin, and they're uh, originally out of Denmark. And uh, in my spare time, we uh, I'll pinstripe them. Oh, yeah, hold on. Watch out. Hey, listen, this is the big show. You know what I'm saying? Ronnie, Ronnie, have you been uh, tipping a few back before the show, buddy? Listen. Seem a little relaxed. Look at that. Yang. This is Yang. Yeah. And there's a Ying. Look at this. Watch out. You're, looks like you're going down. Don't worry what I'm doing. Look at that. Look at that. We look like twins. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that you're the yang to his yin. Here's the deal. Yeah. Because I, I have made the giant, giant, giant mistake of opening a barbecue restaurant, <laughs> I, I need salvation. So what I do is I graffiti and pinstripe barrels of beer that we like. What? You did that artwork? Of course. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm a master. I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. Join the club. It's, uh, it's currently a club of two. You and me. Oh, right? listen, life is miserable. I feel good when I do this. <laughs> However, these ones are for Evil Twin uh, Brewing, and they're going to go. Uh, they're originally out of Denmark. They were two brothers, whatever. They uh, they opened up these companies, and the other brother took off, and he's got some great beers. There's a yin and a yang, and what happens is you, you mix them like the old. Uh, Augsburgers, the Gamutlakites used to do a 50-50, and you get a big uh, big glass of beer. They're really good. I like them. This one, oh, shit. Watch out, Ronnie. You're going to hurt oh, yourself. No, no. Yang. That's yang. Yeah. All right. You want to see the yang? Uh, no? Is that a loaded question? You want to see it or not? Yeah, let's see the yang. That's the wow, yang. look at that. You're quite the artist. Yeah? Yeah. I should have stayed pinstriping. Don't open a barbecue restaurant, whatever you do. All right, we'll get into that in a second, Ronnie. Calm down and let me get back my uh, show. Shut up for a second. 
All right, now look, for the people that don't know uh, Ronnie Lotz or they aren't uh, frequenting the neighborhood coming in and uh, partaking in your beers and your barbecue restaurant stuff, uh, if you could give us a quick abridged version uh, of kind of how you got into this whole business of uh, was it a restaurant first, was it a bar first, did it all happen at the same time? Just the short version. Oh, man, we did this last time. Here's what happened last time. There was such a lag and a delay that I just rambled and rambled. I, I know it's hard to believe. Yeah, it's not happening right now for sure. Well, I know. I'm, I'm trying not to. Look, you know, I used to cook for a bunch of wrestlers, and then uh, for some reason, you know, barbecue, it just felt right. And then I, I don't know, I did a lot of things. I opened this, this cigar store, you know, behind the studio where I was pinstriping cars. I worked with these wrestlers, whatever. I started cooking. And then I moved here. And here at Cigars and Stripes is where I made the biggest mistake of my entire existence. Of the wow. That is certainly some declaration. Listen to me. You're on the big screen right now, Mr. Ramke. I can hear me in the background. Oh, well, good, good. Because you know what? I, I actually have guys in here with handmade spice... They're passing it around like, you know, like I don't know what they're doing, but they're like trading spices. I'm going to tell you something. The big show, for whatever it's worth, yeah. I'm going to tell you, they came out of the woodwork tonight to see your show, and I, uh, I thank you very much. Right. Yep. I got these guys here. Now, listen, this is right up your alley. You guys are into the, uh, the competition bar- barbecue. That's what you do. I, uh, I'm begging those people. To, listen, if you're a barbecue restaurant or, or, or a barbecue competition guy, stay doing what you're doing with your friends. You know what I mean? Right. Go out on the weekend, drink a goddamn beer, and just do it. Enjoy it. I can hear them laughing back there. You're on a delay. Listen, I'm not kidding. Because once you enter the arena of a barbecue restaurant... Your life is going to be an eternal hell. You'll never be able to do nothing with your life. You have read my mind, Ronnie, because this was going to be my next question. We're talking with Ronnie Lotz. Oh, listen, the... right now, I don't want to interrupt you, but right now, I got, okay. listen, you just they are called themselves the Ball and Hogs. I don't know. They had a big uh, barbecue co- uh, contest here in Glen Ellen, Illinois. They took first place out of 61 contestants. I'm going to give them a plug. Hey, you know what? They're here, and God bless it, they're spending money. And they're watching your show. I'm telling you, you're on a big screen right now. This is like downtown. Now, look, uh, I was just talking to a guy last week who does this barbecue thing for a living. A uh, little bit different than your setup uh, that you have, but he's getting into a physical location soon enough. He was uh, real big into the open-air markets down in uh, south-central California. Uh, what is it? It seems, if I am uh, deducing what you're telling me properly, uh, that what you're doing in this uh, barbecue world, the barbecue restaurant, uh, you know, how much work really goes into it for you? Are you somebody there? That, I mean, is this an act that you are putting on, and you're really there, just kind of managing, but you're you're allowed some downtime, or are you there 24 and seven? Oh yeah, oh big act, big act. I looked at my dashboard today. I'm gonna tell you something. In the blazing sun in Chicago right now. It is negative three degrees. That was this afternoon. Now, tonight, we're going to go below 17. I'm going to tell you something. Every single morning, mark my words, if you're a barbecue contest guy, whatever you want to do, open up your barbecue restaurant, 
your ass is going to be up at five o'clock in the morning. You're going to put your fucking ribs in. You're going to put your goddamn, your pork roast in and some chicken wings. You're going to like it. Hey, Gene, what do you want me to say? You think it's a joke? No. Oh, that, yeah. This you is know, what I'm telling. Everyone giggles. Oh, yeah. You have a boutique barbecue. You barbecue. Hey, everything we smoke is outside, Gene. Everything. You think I got a big giant national pride in that kitchen behind me? You see the light? You see that kitchen? Yes. Those are goddamn guys that are in Mexico now that started to build my kitchen and disappeared. He's... They're in fucking Mexico. He's gone. I got a new cook. I got a new cook right now. And the kid don't complain. I'm out there with him every single rotten, stinking morning. Now, you're out there cooking in the cold and the heat. It doesn't matter because you're looking to give top-quality product to the people that are coming in. I mean, let's be honest. Listen, you can throw all your pork ribs in. You can throw your, your butts in. You can put your wings in your little National Pride giant commercial smokers. But I'm telling you this. I don't give a shit what anyone says. I'm telling you, when I take my offset smoker, and not to mention, this is no joke. Gene, right now, it's probably, what is it? Eight degrees out, negative eight degrees. My, look at this. This Mip. smoker right here, oh. Mule Tough. Yep. This is no joke. He's in where is he, Missouri? I am launching a, a, a damn YouTube channel based on this guy. I couldn't take it anymore. I jumped in the car and I drove to Missouri. I'm gonna tell you something. This Mule Tough smoker right now is holding temp. You can read all the articles you want about, you know, the guy's wrap. Oh, well, you get the fireproof blankets and wrap it around your smoker. This thing right now is smoking at 260. I'm telling you, man. What, uh, are you, are you, are you all wood? All, are you all wood fire? Are you charcoal? Are you a mix? Is it listen, gas? Listen, no one's all wood fire if they are, they're liars. You start it with, with, with charcoal and you throw your wood in for flavor. But what happens is I throw, uh, I feed it with uh, cherry and oak, big logs later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're wood-fired. And right now, this mule tough, I don't care if it's negative 18 degrees. I don't care if it's – we were actually going to watch the thing with uh, – what was his name, Kurt Russell? Yeah. Tonight's movie night at Cigars and Stripes. After the big show, after the hockey game, you know. But uh, the thing, that's like we're in Antarctica. I could take this mule tough smoker, and <laughs> I'm not kidding with you, man. This thing holds temp. I'm telling you. Well, whatever. It's what it is. So we're talking right now. We're talking with Ronnie Lotz. He is the owner of Cigars and Stripes Barbecue Lounge. Uh, you can find him on the webs at cigarsandstripes.com, all spelled out. Uh, Ronnie, you are somebody who has put together a menu. Uh, what's the best seller on the menu? When people come in, if people are being referred, you know, what are you getting the most requests of? Well, you know, obviously the chicken wings. I mean, they're uh, they're not deep fried. You know what I mean? You think I you think I go to the restaurant depot and just get like a deep fried breaded chicken wing that you can just drop in a deep fryer? I get them fresh. I'm telling you, get them fresh from the market every goddamn day. And then, and like today, they delivered. You believe they delivered ten boxes? Whatever. What? We how how much weight of chicken wings are you going through a week? Don't lie, like I know you want. Listen. I'm not a liar, man. I'm telling you. I'm doing about 80 pounds a day. That's not a lie. Wow. 
That's well, whatever. Lot. Hey, listen, man, divide it up. You know what I mean? For me, that's a lot. You know, my, my friend said he made you know he made a gag. He said, you know, oh, you're a boutique barbecue. <laughs> yeah, but we cook everything outside, pal. Everything. I don't care what you have is cooked outside. And I, I think there's a big difference. Let me tell you, if I take a rib tip or a rib and I throw it in the national pride, hit the button and get the 17-year-old kid to go, oh, bread them and then stick, you know, hit the button and then walk away and come back four hours later. There's a big difference between in my offset cooker, you're my offset cooker. You want to make ribs? You throw the wood in it and you watch it. You know what I mean? Yes. Now, I'll tell you something. When you bite into that rib gene, it is what it is. Ronnie, let's clear something up here right now because I'm getting a lot of instant messages. I think one, yeah. one thing is happening and, you, and, I, and people think another. Are you calling me Gene? Are you using the letter G? J. Hey, who's the guy from Berlin? What's his name? Uh, Remke. Who? There's a guy that's got a name just like yours. My is that my brother Chris Rempe? No, the guy from Berwyn, man. His name's Rent. No, his his name's Rent Key, I think. Could be. Oh I get a lot God. of keys. But I told everybody that we have a you and I we have a relationship. So you've shortened my name from Greg to uh, the letter G. But everybody says you keep calling me Gene. I don't think that's right. You're not calling me Gene, are you? Am I calling Gene? No, you're calling Greg. Yeah, call you G. Yeah, see? So everybody back off for crying out loud. Jeez. No, the other guy. Right, G. Hey, listen. Come on. These people are crazy, Ronnie. Now, look, let me ask you something. You know, one of the most uh, important things to a successful restaurant is this menu. Obviously, you said that the chicken wings are king. Absolutely. But uh, as you uh, craft and hone the menu, you know, a lot of these places, they get into this barbecue thing. And all of a sudden, they got like uh, 50 or 60 different items on a menu. And it seems to me, and I'm never going to be opening a barbecue restaurant, but if I would, I would try and uh, keep it basic, kind of uh, bring what makes you successful. Uh, is that something that you subscribe to, or do you like to have uh, many options available for the consuming public? Well, well, funny you bring that up, Gene. Come here, son. Come here. Come here for a second. I Listen, you called me Gene. when that, kid, that little kid of yours came in there and kissed, kissed you? Your daughter, look at this. Come here. That's my 15-year-old boy. That's my son, Zach. Hey, look at this guy. What's up, brother? And Sam, he's ready. You know how to build a fire on that smoker? No, I'll get, I'll get you a question. I love this kid. He's a good boy. All right, here, here's the thing. Listen, my, my, I got my one cook. He's yeah. crying, and he's complaining all the time. He says, I don't know, wings, I can't keep up with the wings and the rib tips and the, and the smoked Italian beef. We do that. I said, listen to me. We got three fucking things on the menu. Three. You want to go work in a Greek restaurant? Oh, give me my mashed potatoes. Well done with hash browns and hot peppers. I want my egg up. I don't want wheat toast. Give me white bread. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Hold that. You want 75 orders all custom? Hold the mail. You're cooking chicken wings. Yes, I subscribe to what you're saying. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it protein. Let's keep it on the grill, and let's call it what it is. I mean, you know what I mean? But, you know, just get to the point. Cook your four things and do it well. Right. We do well. West Side Rib Tip, hands down the best in the country. And I'll tell you right now, I got all the West Side guys. Name it. Name a barbecue place. They all come here with their wives to eat. 
It's true. For the rib tips. And the wings are good. I'm going to have four items on the menu, and that's it. You want to know why? Because I can't find anyone that's reliable to do it for me. You, son, will start cooking. <laughs> he, he looks very he looks very enthused to be on the really big barbecue show, Ronnie. Let me tell you. Uh, now, yeah. look, let me ask you one last question. Uh, one last question before I let you go, Ronnie. Oh, what do I, why do I got to go? What? Why do I got to go? You have a business to run. I can only take up so much of your valuable time. Now, listen. Monkey business. You seem to have a uh, what some would call an ebullient personality. Uh, uh, there's a word called charisma, which seems to be overflowing your cup. Have you ever thought about... Uh, trying out for these fandangled barbecue shows like Barbecue Pitmasters, it seems like it would be right up your alley. They would be drawn to your uh, magnetism of personality, and it would be like great TV. Plus, you know, all things aside, you know how to cook too. Answer the question. Believe it. I, I, I don't believe I would do that. Why not? I don't believe I have it in me. I don't believe I'm camera shy. I, I don't think I could ever do that. You know, Gene, I don't know what to tell you, man. Listen, I'm going to tell you this, Gene. I can't see you now, but this... I, think he's I know his name's Greg. I'm just fucking with him. All right, listen. <laughs> Your beard. The beard you're wearing. This one? Listen. Hands down, man. You look good. I'm going to tell you something. I got a I got a beard that Listen, scares most terrorists. Can't see it now. I got an advertisement of some split broadcaster enable you. I can't even see you. However, I did see you on your last episode. Yeah. And if you're sporting that beard, yes, for whatever it's worth, it's very becoming of you. Oh, your wife you. probably swoons with ecstasy. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, she's I, swooning all right. She's swooning to me to find no, a raisin. No, my barbecue guy. Listen. You know what they like? Women like that shit, man. They like they like the gray. If I put gray in my beard, and I go to the goddamn jewels out here, Dominic's, they closed up. These twenty-year-old women around me—they got this daddy thing going. I'm just saying that the gray in the beard. I'm just saying, you look good. You're you know? saying uh, you're saying I could pull some twenty-year-old strange, is what I'm you're saying. I'm saying that you look like a guy. Take a piece of steak, and you know what I mean. Throw it on a grill. And then be like, baby, I'm going to go take the car and wash it. You know what I mean? And yeah. you got your beard going. I, I just think you you look good with that beard. Keep going. Uh, Ronnie Lotz is joining us here on the show, owner of Cigars and Stripes uh, Barbecue Lounge. If you're in the Chicagoland area, first visit the website, uh, Chicago. Jeez. Uh, cigars. Gene, major announcement. Major announcement. Hold on. Wait a second. A Barbecue Central Show exclusive news update. All right, let's have it. All right, listen. Remember when your father, maybe maybe like an uncle, passed away and he left you an old Cadillac? Or no, just me? That wasn't oh. me. All right, here's the thing. I bought, I bought an offset smoker. Yeah. Years ago. And it never, Gene, I'm telling you, it never ran right. And I, Gene. I, let's fuck it. All right. Never ran right. Here's the thing. I uh, I rebuilt this thing, and I've got great footage of uh, of the rebuilding of this machine. Yeah. And I also have of the bench ring because I can't get to my welding supplies because they're buried underneath a circuit tent that I had to hire other people to build it and help me. 
the design, it was, it was called the, uh, a beam smoker. They were out of uh, Alabama. Yep. Anyway, a lot of people online say things about beam smokers are no good. I'm going to tell you something. I wailed on that beam smoker like, it was, like a redheaded stepchild. I beat it to death. Follow me. I made a couple of bucks with that thing. I rebuilt it. I couldn't do it, so I hired guys. Here's what happens. They tore it apart. They molested my smoker. They ruined everything I worked for. It was making me out of my mind. They destroyed it. I had to repo it, and that made me go buy my mule tough or whatever it is. You can watch it online. Gene, promise me that you're going to post a link. Yes. I'm putting a teaser on the night. Yeah. It's weird. I was up drunk last night. I, I can't uh, believe that for a second. No, believe it. It's true. At like four in the morning, you know, and I, I started going through the old footage of this BlackBerry playbook. And I'm going to tell you something. My God, I got the whole thing documented. It's a whole year. It's actually, I watched it. It's kind of, kind of amusing. I mean, I dealt with guys that didn't speak English. They chopped my smoker in pieces. I'm going to post a link so everybody can check it out. No, I'm putting a teaser up tonight. I got, I got this Do weird. It. I got a guy working on it tonight, I and mean, whatever. I just want people to know, Gene. I need you to know this. People do radio shows, and they do this podcast stuff. You are like, you are truly. I don't know, man. You're, you're a good host. Oh, well, Ronnie, I'm going to take the compliment. You're, you look like you need to refill. And if anybody's in the Chicago area, cigarsandstripes.com, the website. And tell somebody that I've sent you for crying out, Rod. I mean, Listen, it's, it's, it's good for a freebie. He sent me a thing on, uh, on the Facebook. Yeah. I heard, he heard you out of state. Is coming to Chicago. Is coming here. Big show works. I love it. All right, I mean, Ronnie, as always, my friend, I appreciate you coming on tonight, and we'll talk soon. It's Ronnie Lots, everybody. Look at this guy. He's crazy. Ronnie Lotz. Corey, can you believe Ronnie Lotz or what? <laughs> Charismatic. There you go. Charismatic. <laughs> that guy is shot out of a cannon. I think that's the very definition of being shot out of a cannon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, when we go to Chicago, are we going to Cigars and Stripes? Let's do it. Yeah, all right. We're going to do it. <laughs> Here we go, winery or rehab. Let me get the song up here. That way we're ready to go. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. We're going to play a winery or rehab. You want me to give you a Kalamazoo grill, but that's not going to happen tonight, no. I'm not going to give you a Kalamazoo grill tonight. You're going to have to take 40 pounds of pellets instead of a $50,000 Kalamazoo grill. Yeah, baby. But it's better than a sharp stick in the eye. Oh, yeah. All right. We're going to play winery or rehab, ladies and gentlemen. Let me uh, get my list up to date here. We got the first caller on the line. 40 pounds of pellets, uh, courtesy of cookingpellets.com. All right, let's do this thing. Let's go to uh, area code 864, name and where you're calling from. Kevin from Greer, South Carolina. You said Kevin with a K? Yes. Kevin, how are you, man? 
All right. Ready to play, Kevin? Yes. All right, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a name. You're going to tell me if it's a winery or a rehab. You get two out of three right. You win 40 pounds of pellets from cookingpellets.com. You have a pellet-driven cooker, Kevin? Yeah. All right. Um, you have to give me the answer within five seconds after I give you the name. Otherwise, I'm going to hang up on you and make fun of you unmercifully. Can you do it? Okay. Are you excited? Yeah. I know I am. All right, here we go, Kevin. First name. Hope and Grace Winery or Rehab? That is a rehab. Oh, no! Sorry, Kevin. Took you. By the way, I hate to do this, but I got to give props. That was John Dawson's. Hope and Grace is a winery. Yes, that's right. Hope and Grace. Uh, by the way, this portion of the show brought to you by CookingPellets.com, obviously. Quality wood pellets, 100% wood for your pellet-driven cookers. And uh, you can buy them at wood uh, CookingPellets.com. Cooking, like C-O-O-K-I-N, CookingPellets.com. Uh, 216-220-0966. Greg at the BBQ, CentralShow.com. You can win 40 pounds of pellets. You go ahead and call in. We'll get you all set up. It's a very simple game. Everybody loves playing it. Don't lie like I know you want to. 216-220-0966 if you have a pellet-driven cooker. Or maybe you uh, don't have a pellet-driven cooker. Maybe you just have a gas grill or a Weber Smoky Mountain. You can put those pellets in like a tinfoil pouch and throw them right onto the charcoal. You're all set to go just that easy. All right, area code 317, name and where you're calling from. Uh, Brian Mayo from Canby, Indiana. Hey, Brian, how are you tonight, buddy? Good. All right, Brian, you ready to play winery or rehab? Sure, yeah. Right. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a name. You tell me if it's a winery or rehab. Every time I give you a name, you got to give me the answer within five seconds. You do it right two out of three times. You get a 40-pound pellet awesomeness from cookingpellet.com. Are you ready? I am ready. Brian, are you excited? I am stoked. I know I am. All right, here we go. First name. Raise the bottom. Winery or rehab? Raise the bottom. Raise the bottom. Uh, winery. No. Oh, no! We suck again! Raise the bottom is a rehab. This is going to be a tough one, I think. It might be so tough, I'm going to have to reset Milt Buckner. Brian, was that you? No, he said he was from Indiana. You're from Canada. All right, no winner yet. We're looking for a winner. 216-220-0966. If you want to email about the goings-on tonight, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. All right, Barbecue Central Show, name and where you're calling from. Laura from Greer, South Carolina. Laura, how are you tonight? Good, thanks. Good. Here we go. We're going to play winery or rehab for your chance to win uh, 40 pounds of pelts. That's what you're calling about, right? Yeah. All right, you never know when women call. They might just want my phone number. Nevertheless, uh, 40 pounds of pellets it is. Uh, Your first name tonight, Laura, is uh, The Cottage. Winery or rehab. 
Uh, winery. No. Oh, no! Oh, we suck again! No, sir. The cottage is a rehab. Wow. Everybody's wrong here. Barbecue food is wrong. Sylvie Curry is wrong. Uh, on the last one, Sylvie was wrong. But on the last one, barbecue food for you was right. This is great stuff. I love this. This I love this game. You just got to get in and get in, take part of this game. David Bosca, you should be calling in. You need pellets. You cook on two FEC 100s. You too good for my pellets? All right, uh, Barbecue Central Show, name and where you're calling from. Kevin from Greer, Texas. All right. Uh, we're going to play Winery or Rehab for 40 pounds of pellets. And uh, first name tonight. Terra Navita. Terra Navita. Winery or rehab? Um, winery. That's right. It is a winery. Terra Navita winery. All right. Next one could get you 40 pounds of pellets. Are you excited? Yes. I know I am. Parma Ridge. Winery or rehab? Parma Ridge. Parma Ridge? Parma Ridge, yes. Winery. Damn right it is. Parma Ridge is a winery. Uh, You said your name was what? Kevin Bird. Uh, Kevin Bird, all right. Long time Central Lake, Kevin. Great to have you on tonight. Thank you. Uh, You win tonight, Kevin. So uh, all you have to do is uh, send me your shipping info. Uh, Send me an email, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. And I will get you 40 pounds of pellets from cookingpellets.com, all right? All right. All right. There he is. Kevin Bird. Look at you winning. Bastard. There he is. So Chestnut, the hot dog eating champion. Um, Joe, you're... You know, almost a week removed from the event. Tomorrow would be the week's anniversary. Um, kind of help me break down the competition, like how it went, um, all that stuff. July 4th is for you. Uh, July 4th is awesome. Uh, <laughs> it was hot out there. It was hot in New York. Um, it was humid. But uh, I got into a decent rhythm in the beginning. I was, uh, I was a sweaty mess, but uh, I was able to keep eating. And I, I I didn't break my record, but I tried it, and I I thought I did pretty good. Second place with sixteen hot dogs behind. Yeah, I mean, you'd, and, uh, I, I, absolutely. I was hoping I was hoping they would they would eat more. The more they eat, the, the more pressure I feel to eat more, and well, uh, and to do better. But uh, I, I I definitely ate well that day, though. So we'll get into some of like the the pre and post competition routines here in a bit, but. How did you feel when you woke up that day? Did you feel like it was going to be a potential record-breaking day? Or when you wake up for any competitive eating event, do you wake up some days and be like, today I'm going to get my eat on? Or today oh, yeah. might not be an everyday? I, I definitely woke up, woke up feeling light and loose. <laughs> I, I, only slept about, I only slept about four and a half or five hours at night. And I, I was up moving and uh, just, just, just ready and loose. I, I, I hydrated very well the day before. And then I stopped drinking water the day, day of the contest. And uh, it, I, I felt really good. 
So you mentioned it was another hot, humid, sunny day. When you're outside, because obviously some of these competitions aren't housed outside, is, is there a perfect outside weather day for you to compete in? Yeah, there's always perfect weather, but uh, it was, I, I, I'd be happy if it was like 75 with, with California style, humid, with, without humidity, but uh, I, I can't be too picky. It, it, one thing about it is it's fair for everybody. Everybody's eating in the same weather. Everybody's eating the same hot tub. Correct. Now, does eating in a day like July 4th weather-wise affect you at all during your event? Can it hinder the amount yeah. you can consume? It, 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 a little bit. It, it, it makes me slow down a little bit towards the end. Uh, I'm a sweaty mess. Uh, I know that I'm a little bit dehydrated. And I just, I just run out of steam a little bit. But I, I think, it, you know, I, I really should have been able to push one more hot dog in me. <laughs> I'm a little bit bummed out about that. But uh, I, at least I tied the record. Joy Chestnut joining me here on the show, winner of the Nathan's Fourth of July hot dog eating contest. Ate 68 dogs, tying his own personal record. About two minutes into the eat, Joey, you had three or four dog buffer between you and second place. Do you have a plan to work while you're at a contest while it's going on? Oh yeah, well during the contest, I'm I'm really I'm there's two feelings I'm trying to ignore completely. I'm just trying to ignore the feeling of full, the feeling any feeling of pain. Uh, other than that, my mind is all over the place. Uh, I, I just, I'm just trying to control my breathing and keep my hands moving. Uh, and and just keep whatever whatever's going in my mouth going down. Uh, during that time, also my little brother is right in front of me, yelling at me, telling me, telling me where we else is at. And I just uh, I, so I'm aware of where we else is at. They're, they're the judges in front of me. I can see you on my left and right where the leaders are. And uh, and I, I definitely knew that five minutes in, I, I, I was I was five or six hot dogs ahead, and, and they were slowing down and. And then the last half of the contest is where I really uh, created a gap. Now, you mentioned the fighting, that feeling of feeling full. I mean, 68 hot dogs, when does that happen? At, like, hot dog 8 or 10? Uh, you know, I can could, I could eat 30 hot dogs and be pretty happy. <laughs> so the first the first four minutes of the contest, I'm, I'm, I'm a happy dude. I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a vicious rhythm. And... Uh, it's fun. The first four or five minutes are, are fine. The second half of the contest, that's where uh, that's where it's real work. That's where uh, I'm, my body's telling me things. And I, I'm, like, I'm ignoring it, and I, I just I know exactly what I'm capable of, and I just I, I have to do it. Joy Chestnut joining me here on the show. All right, so we look at that back half of the competition. Six minutes in, you're up by ten dogs. You are, uh, and I guess you said you were actively kind of watching the other judges and, and some of the others, so you know where they are. When you see that you're up by ten, are you necessarily concerned? Do you think that they're going to make a run at you and somehow catch up, or are you no, kind of pacing your own self at that point? I'm pacing myself. Uh, going into the contest, I knew that if, if I got into a decent rhythm, that it was going to be a contest against myself. Uh, I'd be a contest trying to break the record, and I'd just be using whatever they did as, as motivation. Uh, and they're awesome. They're awesome eaters. Uh, this, this is the Fourth of July. That's a contest I really train for, uh, and there's other contests I, I, I do throughout the year. A bunch of contests, but none of them. I, I don't train for any of them the same way I do for Fourth of July. And the other eaters know that. They, they know that I, I go to this contest accepting only one outcome: a victory. And uh, if I'm there, I'm, I'm there to win. At the end of the competition, you, you eat 68 dogs in 10 minutes. 
you tie your own record, given the heat and the humidity. And look, I mean, 68 hot dogs sounds like a friggin' craziness. So w- was it at all a struggle to just get back to that 68? And is 68 kind of this weird glass ceiling that you might have hit in some regard? I don't want to think that. I can't. I, I know I've broken the record in practice. Uh, I know I, I did one practice. I ate only the 74 hot dogs after 10 minutes. Uh, my body, this last week it was, I was proud to eat hot dogs and not only get, get them in, but get them down and digest them. And, uh, and next year, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what I'll do different. I have, I have a couple of ideas. I want to go into the contest a little bit lighter, healthier, uh, so I don't pull down as much at the end. But, uh, the only way you can be a good, 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 good competitive eater is by eating a lot. And uh, it sounds funny, but so I have to keep the balance uh, a little bit better next year, be a little bit healthier, but still maintain the ability, uh, the ability to eat a ridiculous amount of food. All right, so I'm getting a lot of uh, questions here in my instant chat room, and the one that seems to repeat over and over again is how you actually go about training for this event. I know you were on uh, the Jim Rome show last Tuesday leading up. You said that you had eaten 80 hot dogs, you know, within a couple of days' time prior to going in. What What's the process like for you? How are you training to eat 68, 70, 80 dogs? It's it's uh, I, I I can barely watch a marathon runner or possibly a bodybuilder. I, I I get my body into a cycle, or I'll do a practice contest, and after the contest, um, the day after, I'm immediately taking just protein supplements and uh. And I'm on, I'm on a liquid fast. I'm fasting for three days, getting ready for my next practice. And every time I do a practice, I, I try to eat a little bit more. And and every time I get the food down and digest it, I know I can go up a little bit more the next time. It's just it's it's uh, I'm just I'm convincing my body it's all right, and I'm convinced I'm, I'm making those those muscles stretch and become a little bit stronger. And and getting my body used to digesting a little bit more every time. It's uh. It, it, it sounds simple, it, and it is pretty simple. It's, it's, it's but it's, uh, it's, it's tough for any of the. It, it, it's work. Any of those three days when I'm fasting, I feel like garbage, and the, the day after the contest, I feel like garbage. So, it, uh, it's easy for other years to try to find, you know, an easy way to do it, but it's, uh, if you're, if you're gonna do this, I mean, if I'm gonna do this contest, and I'm committed to being the best I can be. Might as well, might as well. Work. All right, so the other question that keeps coming up is, after the event is done, are there people running right away to offload, uh, or are you digesting you know, the, the 20,000 calories or, or whatever it is, and how much weight are you putting on during the course of an eat? Oh, yeah, I'm digesting it. It's it, it very rare for me to get sick. I'll get sick. There's, I'll get, there's a couple reasons why I might get sick if, if I'm not familiar with the food and I haven't digested that much food before. Uh, no, that's not a problem with hot dogs. My body feels comfortable with them and digest them. But, uh, you know, the other reason is if I'm too dehydrated, then my body just can't, can't, can't doesn't have enough uh, liquids in it to digest the food. And that, that I might get sick like three hours later. It just it might be something not digesting. But, uh, this contest, I was, I was hydrated and my body was used to digesting the food. And, uh, I know the next year, I, hopefully, I just need to, Control my body a little bit better, and uh, and uh, yeah. It, but I, I, there are you're right. There are eaters that 
that as soon as as soon as they, they can they, they uh, let loose and oh. and I know I know they're there they they know I know that they do it and you know I I know they're never going to beat me also they they know that also so so it's the the, the person who who can't control their body is uh, definitely out there and uh, and uh, I, I I kind of laugh at them I I kind of laugh that they're trying to keep up with me they they push themselves to that breaking point. Joey Chestnut joining me here on the show. He just won the uh, 4th of July hot dog eating contest, uh, Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest, eating 68 dogs. You've won the title now six years in a row. There's really no one on the MLE roster that's major league eating, for the people that don't know, uh, that can even sniff you when it comes to this. Do you find yourself having to set those personal goals in order to motivate yourself since the other eaters aren't putting up much of I'm not saying that they're not trying their hardest, but when you look at it raw – the numbers just aren't matching up. You're well in advance. So do you have to go in in some sort of mindset saying, i got to get myself pumped up because I can't rely on an Eater X or a Crazy Legs or you know whoever else to really be able to keep up with me for these 10 minutes? Oh, it's uh, I, I can't only motivate myself so much, but uh, a lot of my motivation comes from the audience. It, it's, for an eating contest, it's ridiculous to look out and see thousands and thousands of people. I think this year was estimated 35,000. And uh, that's that's insane. A lot of motivation comes from them. A lot of, a lot of motivation comes from every day. I get uh, give letters in the mail with people encouraging me, to, and uh, it's, it's that encouragement. And it, it's not really pushing me. It's more of a support. And and I, I think I have I, I've been very lucky to get a support. I have a support network of a lot of people, uh, whether it's friends, family, or fans. And, and it's just. I've, I've been able to surround myself with a lot of awesome people who can, uh, who are, who, you know, who acknowledge that competitive is crazy, but they also acknowledge that, you know, Joey, you're, you're, if you're doing it, you might as well be the best and, and uh, push yourself and, 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 and be normal. Be a normal guy that, that just that does the best you can. Joey Chestnut joining us here on the show. Uh, Joe, last year, Kobayashi was a no show at the actual eating portion. Same thing again this year. The audience and the people who follow Emily want to see you go up against him, and he continually refuses, I suppose. And, and tantamount, because this is such like the biggest event, right? I mean, this, this is the Daytona 500 or the Super Bowl. This would be like the Miami Heat deciding not to show up for a finals game since this is the preeminent uh, event for MLE during the course of the year. Do you know exactly like what's going on with him and why he will not get back into IFOCE and MLE eating events? The truth is, I, I, I major league eating, they're, they're the organization that puts it on. Uh, there's always disputes between athletes and the, and the organization to run things, whether it's NHL or NBA. So the truth is, major league eating, they're, they're a difficult organization to get along with. And, uh, and he's, uh, he's, I don't know if he's burned bridges, and they, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure they still want him back to compete and eventually. Eventually, he's, he's going to come back. I think. I think this, this year they started actually talking. Uh, money numbers were made made public. Yeah. Uh, what, what they were talking about. Yeah. Now, uh, or, 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 or what about the contracts? And uh, I, I think I think uh, I think some of they're, they're probably going to be a sponsor that steps up and says we, we and says that they want to see a rematch between me and him. Uh, and it, it's probably going to happen next year because. Next year, next year probably gonna be my last. I set all my goals in competitive eating, and I've got them all except for, except for getting seven in a row, and that, that's my last goal. 
when I was looking, he, he did uh, some type of internet interview with some pretty hot chick, uh, and then he had his business manager alongside of him. He mentioned a figure of like $40,000 uh, over the course of a year, but maybe, and maybe I misunderstood it because I would imagine they're probably offering all the other eaters I, something similar as far as contract, maybe not money amount. Did they only want they, him? I, did they only want him to eat the hot dog contest? No, no, that's complete. I, I thought that, I saw a couple of reports, and one of them, the way it sounded, is they were offering forty thousand just for the eating contest. Plus, they guaranteed him other three other events mm-hmm. that would total a uh, hundred thousand dollars. Wow. So, so they're, they're offering. I mean, the, the truth is, they're they're, they're control, a controlling organization. They, they don't want him to do any eating contest without without them getting the cut. And uh, so, so it, it, it's it's give and take. I, I know that if I'm eating the contest, there's somebody making money off of me, and uh, it, I just have to know my worth and and, and negotiate appropriately. So I guess in a way, maybe or maybe you don't kind of respect what he's going through, um, but you have somehow found a way. You're you're by far the biggest attraction at Major League Eating, no matter how much he thinks that he is, because he's just not eating in events that are getting the exposure. So at least in my opinion, you, yeah. you're, you're probably more of the face, but you were able to, to work something out with MLE to continue on with them. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. Uh once once my, I'm done with competitive eating, I'll go back to work in construction management full time. But uh, Kobayashi, he's a competitive eater, and uh, if they if they take away his competitive eating, he's he's going to do it. He's going to try to do it somewhere else. But uh, he, he's he's very passionate about it. He's he's uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I did a big part of me that thinks that you know what he signed the same contract for nine years. And he was okay with it until he started losing. And it, it, maybe he doesn't want to lose. And he's making a big deal out of it now. Um, he, he's just he's just trying to find a way out. But there's a bit, there's a part of me that hopes that you know he, he was just set up with, with major eating. He's going to try to try to make them uh, try try to make them change their ways. And and and, and even though I don't think Major League will change, I, I hope that Kobayashi is not afraid. Because I, I, he's a competitor. I, I want to compete against him. I, I want to have a respect for him. Joy Chestnut joining us here on the show, breaking it all down for us in regards to uh, hot dog eating as well as some ongoings in Major League eating. You know, Joe, you've been doing this for a number of years now. You said next year might be the last uh, because of all the personal goals that you've been able to attain. This isn't the only event you do every year. You do a number of them. Have you given any consideration the fact that you may or may not be unknowingly doing some type of, of long-term damage to your body by eating like this? I uh, I go to the doctor pretty regularly, uh, every, three, every three or four months. While I'm training for Nathan's, uh, I go twice uh, in, in that six-week period uh, just, just to make sure everything's working well. And uh, so... Right now, I, I'm really confident that I uh, I'm not doing any, any damage to my body. Um, I, I also, I'm 20 years old, but I, I've been I've been very lucky. I recover. I still recover qu- quickly from contests. My body it, it, it adapts to the food when I'm training with it. Um, but it, it's you're right. You push your body to the limit. You push your body to the limit, whether it's in marathon uh, running or boxing or Anything, you're, you're you're hurting it to a degree, and I'm aware of that. But uh, 
and, and but right now I'm, I'm happy and healthy. And uh, as soon as I start to see some negative effects, the first time I see it, uh, I have no problem walking away. Hi, right, Joe. Uh, two more questions here before I let you go. You're the premier eater right now in MLE, number one ranked. Uh, you're winning six in a row for hot dog eating contests. Can you pick up chicks doing this? Oh, my God. Yeah, you know, it, it's, I've been very lucky. Really? Yeah! <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> It's, it's, it's ridiculous. They're women, and, you know, women, the competitive eating in general, they, they don't like that. It's ugly. Uh, but they like a winner. They like a guy that goes out and takes care of business. <laughs> and uh, I'm that kind of guy. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And I, and, uh, I follow through. And they, they like they like a guy that is a winner. And uh, I, I'm, my girlfriend, she's awesome. But she's way out of my league. Uh, <laughs> she, she's not attracted to competitive eating, but it, it uh Definitely, she, she uh, likes it in the Construction it, management, it, it, Joey Chestnut, couldn't have pulled that girlfriend, is what you're saying. No, yeah. <laughs> oh man, before intervening, I was super shy. I, was, I still am shy. I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a normal guy, engineer. And it's just I, I crunch numbers, and uh, now, now I, 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 I was a shy. I, I still am shy, but uh, it's I do a lot better than I should. All right, Joe, uh, if you, do you want to do uh, my Survey Tuesday questions with me before I let you go? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Uh, question number one. This might seem a little redundant. How many hot dogs could you eat in 10 minutes? Oh, perfect day. I could eat 71. 71. All right. Question number two. Now, this is going to seem kind of off the wall, and I apologize. Uh, so let me reword it for you. Uh if asked, would you ever join a competitive barbecue team to cook? Uh, absolutely. I love barbecue. Love I have it. a pretty good cook. You, you hold barbecue eating records, if I uh, remember correctly. And yeah, uh, I, I put down some pulled pork pretty easily. That's right. Uh, question, <laughs> question number three. You may be an aficionado with this. Best chain burger, bar, uh, best chain burger joint around. Oh, man, that's tough. <laughs> I, 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 I've always been a fan of In and Out. That, that, that's, a, that, that's one of my favorites. But uh, Five Guys, I, I really fall in love with them. Five, five Guys, guys. all right. I was going to say, I know you're West Coast guys, so that could have easily went the uh, In and Out Burger way. But there you go. All right, uh, Joy Chestnut has secured his thick sixth straight Nathan's Famous World Eating Hot Dog Championship. Sixty-eight dogs in ten minutes. Joe, always appreciate the time you give to the show. Congratulations again. This is how you don't. This is how you don't go off of the diving board, folks. It is very important that one remembers that. Uh, Oh, 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 no! Oh, you can't do that. Oh, oh. All right. Let me see if I can get audio back on that again. Remember, you can look up at the top left. She plugs her nose, and then it goes all downhill from there. Watch your friend just take right off. This lady poops herself. Oh, oh, oh. oh my God! Oh, sorry. I screwed that up. I screwed that up. Let's do it again. Look at Nope, hang on, she lets go, double, oh yeah. 9.9 on the rotation, though. 
I mean, is anyone else concerned? Where the hell are the lifeguards? You know, all kidding kidding aside, you know, she could be dead. She could have fell the wrong way. Could have been, could have gone very wrong for her. Could have gone very wrong for her. But this is what I'm talking about. This is what I said. If you're going to bring it strong, bring it strong. You can't get on a six-meter board one rung down from the ten-meter board. Literally get to jump point and then decide as your feet and the balls of your feet are hanging off the side and all the momentum is going out to the water that you don't want to do it. No. Don't, don't plug your nose. Everybody that's swimming, kids and adults alike, I mean, kids, I guess I can get it. Adults that still plug your nose, what the hell is wrong with you? Don't plug your nose. Take the. It's more manly to take water up your nose and be uncomfortable than plugging your nose as an adult. You want to be made fun of for the rest of your life? Plug your nose at the pool if you're over eight. Aaron Franklin joining me here on the show. Aaron, how are you, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fabulous, Aaron. And I have to say... Maybe not to your surprise given the day, but I've received roughly 47 emails asking me if this was going to be some type of lame April Fool's joke where I was really not going to have you. I mean, how lame are April Fool's jokes, right? Well, I don't know. I I don't normally participate in them, but uh, I don't know. That would be pretty cruel, though. Yeah, well, uh, I hate to disappoint everybody tuning in, waiting for me to pull the wool over everybody's eyes. But it's really Aaron Franklin, everybody. Sorry to disappoint. Um, so, like, many different directions that we can run with uh, with you tonight, Aaron. And I guess the best place to start the beginning, uh, you know, for someone who is widely considered to be making the best barbecue present day, is there something like, is this a barbecue thing culture you grew up around? Is it something that you became passionate about later on in life? Where does it start for you? Um, I guess a little bit of both, really. I, I grew up and my parents had a barbecue restaurant in Bryan, Texas. They had that thing going for a couple years. I think that uh, probably set me up for the nostalgia of it. And then uh, I'd say about 11 or so years ago, uh, my wife and I bought a little offset cooker and started making barbecue. There is a debate that continually rages on within the barbecue and uh, grilling community with those two words, barbecue and grilling. Do you see those two as uh, separate entities and cooking processes altogether, or do you see barbecue being kind of this all-encompassing umbrella and uh, grilling happens to fall underneath it? Uh, I think it depends on how you're using barbecue. I, I tend to think of barbecuing as, a, as kind of a, like a long, indirect cook. Uh, whereas grilling is, you know, more of a direct heat kind of thing. But depends on where you're from. Technically, barbecue just means you're coming out of live fire support. When you were uh, working at, uh, or when your parents had the barbecue place, and you kind of you get off on your own, uh, were you still cooking a lot in the in the backyard, and then uh, encouraged by family and friends to start your own restaurant, or uh, was it just something that you knew you wanted to get into growing up? Well, I kind of. I guess when I bought that first cooker, I went and bought a brisket at the grocery store and uh, went and bought some wood and 
started kind of trying to figure out how to cook a brisket. So I think at that point, you know, that first fire that I lit, it just kind of reminded me so much of being a kid and hanging out around this super cool old barbecue place. And uh, I guess the rest is kind of history. The first brisket was terrible, and they progressively got better, and friends kept coming over on Sundays for barbecues, and we opened a trailer, and here we are. You know, you would figure coming up in the lineage of uh, barbecue as a business, you, you wouldn't be cooking a bad brisket to start. There was no, like, innate awesomeness. You had to still learn. It's pretty terrible. <laughs> if it nothing, wasn't tender, so. Well, uh, luckily that has uh, the learning curve has been had by you now. Um, there seems to be quite a bit of competition when it comes to barbecue in Texas. Uh, how do you try and separate yourself from everyone else's when it seems at least? Not, now, granted, I have never been through the barbecue gauntlet of Texas yet. But it seems like you would run into every stand, uh, you know, like liquor stores in downtown Cleveland. You would have something roughly the similar in, in barbecue down in Texas. Is it, well, I guess, A, is that more of a, a myth than a truth? And if it is a truth, how are you separating yourself from all the other barbecue restaurants? Well, it's certainly true that there are, there's pretty much a barbecue joint on every corner. Um, that stereotype is very much true. Um, as far as trying to separate ourselves, I, I don't, we just do the best we can, really. You know, we really just try our hardest to make the best thing that we can cook, and I don't really look at other barbecue places as competition. Um, I just think, you know, I have a lot of respect for somebody that puts that much heart and soul into cooking something and running the business. So I think we're all kind of in this thing together. Isn't starting a business on its own, A, is risky regardless, but then you pack on top of it that is going to be in some form or fashion, a restaurant which seems to have an even higher percentage of failure. Were you scared going into it uh, initially that uh, this is something that might blow up in your face? Well, I think when we opened up the trailer, we had 28 cents in the bank. So if we had gone out of business, we wouldn't have lost a whole lot. Um, just a, a lot of hard work and you know a lot of sweat equity, pretty much. But uh, nothing that was really worth anything of a monetary value. Do you see, or I guess when you're answering, I'm sure you're getting questions asked all the time about, oh, I'm going to be looking to start a restaurant, or my friends tell me my barbecue is great, and I should start a restaurant, which I completely hate, because that is a formula potentially for uh, disaster. When you have uh, serving free barbecue to people that are happily to tell you it tastes great when it's free. Um, do you counsel a lot of people on the best ways to, to start a restaurant, or is there really no proven methodology of success? Well, I think ours is such a strange anomaly. I can't really use our scenario to go by, but I do answer a lot of emails, answer tons of Facebook questions and messages and Twitter messages. Or I'm not real great with computers, so it takes me a while to get back to these things. But eventually what I end up telling pretty much everybody is just don't spend anything. You know, you can't go out and find, if you want to open a restaurant, don't cash in your retirement, don't get a bunch of investors, because it's probably going to fail. Statistically, it's probably not going to make it. And it's barbecue, so you're not looking to make much money to begin with. I always thought the best way, if I was going to do it, and I'll never do it, was you know to go find like that uh, Tasty Freeze ice cream place, a walk-up, 
that went out of business. You buy it for cheap. You do some type of a semi-formal conversion, get a smoker out back or whatever you're going to use. And then uh, just do it that way, like no servers except maybe for some from front window help, no real tables, no heating and lighting and all that other crap, uh, and really keep the overhead to a minimum and keep it simple on the menu. Oh, for sure. I mean, if, if you could find some old restaurant that's already kind of been permitted and stuff, you can fix it up if you're a handyman. That's, I think, what saved us so much is that I, uh, I could build most anything I want to. So we didn't really have to pay for any kind of construction or anything. Um, you know, and if you have counter service, you can cook it yourself. You can serve it yourself. So then you don't have to really rely on anyone. You don't have to pay anyone. So, yeah, keep it as self-contained as possible. The potential downside that I'm sure some people are seeing with that advice is, damn, I'm going to have to put in a lot of hours of work. So to take the sexiness out of you know being a very successful uh, barbecue restaurateur as you are, uh, you're there quite a bit, right? Hello? 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 Hey, there we are. You hear me now? Oh, yep. Can you hear me now? Uh, yep. Good. Uh, just to, I don't know how much you heard there, but uh, just to take some of the, the sexiness out of people thinking that if you're a very successful you know, barbecue restaurant guy, you're, you're getting bags of cash with very little work. You're there quite a bit, right? I am there an awful lot. Um, I probably work the least now than I ever have, and I'm down to about 60 hours a week. 60 hours a week. I would say so. I mean, wow. it, it never stops. We took 24 hours a day. I got I got to work this morning at 1.45 a.m., and I'll be right back there tomorrow at 1.45 a.m. So, wow. yeah, there's a ton of work. If you're not willing to work, you might consider something else. Then you should be uh, financially uh, independent and just invest in the barbecue restaurants for the guy that wants to work, right? Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> So, uh, and by the way, we're talking with Aaron Franklin. If you want to uh, check out his website here while we're talking, Franklin Barbecue, spelled the right way, B-A-R-B-E-C-U-E, franklinbarbecue.com. When did... I like, I like the right way. That's right. When did the line start forming? Well, it was pretty gradual. <laughs> the, uh, we opened up the trailer in December, uh, four years ago, December, and I'd say by about the end of January, beginning of February, we started noticing people, maybe like five people outside the fence before we opened. And then it's just kind of snowballed from there. It seems that there are a lot of, and maybe it's the majority of the notable barbecue places out there in Texas, um, A, have lines. So A, you know, good, that's good, because uh, you got customers waiting, but Serve until they're done. It's not a continual uh, process of you know where you have peaks and maybe the food is really good, and then when you valley, you have that uh, very awkward, vacillating situation of hey, meat's done, but nobody's here to eat it. How are we going to hold it, and how are we going to keep it just as good as it is mm-hmm. right now, two hours from now? Is that the mindset right from the beginning? Is we're going to get this meat, we're going to cook it, we'll serve until it's gone, and then boom, we're done. And, and as George Costanza would say, we'll end on the high note every time. Well, not entirely. When it was first opened, I had this crazy idea of being open until about 8 o'clock at night. I thought it would be a piece of cake. I could hang out, play some dominoes, watch the fire, serve the occasional customer. Um, and then we changed it to 6, and then it went to 4 p.m. 
and then we just eventually changed the sign still sold out. Um, so initially, we I really did try to stay open all day. And then when we moved into the building, we also had intentions of being open for dinner. But it turns out if you can only make so much food and it goes in four hours, I guess you just can't really do much more than that. Uh, do you see a projected loss on the bottom line if you were able to you know, stay open until 6 or 7 o'clock? Do you think you'd be packing it in more or not necessarily? I don't think so. I think the same amount of people would show up. It would just be more spread out, and it would be easier for people. But, you know, if less people showed up, then we would be open later. So I, I think it's kind of, you know, people all the time are saying, you know, like, well, your supply and demand's all crazy. This is some marketing ploy. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but we do make 2,000 pounds a day. I'm no mathematician, but that's a ton of barbecue every day. <laughs> I think it is a ton. Wow. Um, you know, in regards to the line, is it something now because of, you know, it's kind of become its own thing. I think uh, the line has now have its own webcam. It might have its own Twitter account at this point, uh, moving to its own Facebook account uh, soon near you. Is it something that you worry about going away at some point? I mean, look, a lot of businesses don't traditionally have the physical site of their customer base deteriorating. You see that in numbers on reports over times and quarters. You have quite the opposite. You would really have the ability to see your customer base decaying if uh, if it were so to happen. Yeah. Um, I Pretty much for the last four years, I've been waiting for it to plateau and slow down, and it hasn't happened yet. So I think maybe I'm finally at the point where I'm starting to think that maybe this, you know, this, this demand is here to stay, I guess. Um, but I think if it did get a little shorter, then it would, we would probably serve the same amount of food. People just wouldn't have to wait so long. So I think it would probably still even out. And, uh, you know, we're so lucky to be so busy and, uh, and you know, so lucky to have such a high level of business. Even if it did slack off a little bit, I think it'd still be just fine. Are you kind of amazed every day when you get ready to, to open up and really start serving the food. And, and obviously it's hours well in advance before that even happens that you have that line out the door. Does it kind of boggle your mind every day when you see that many people waiting for your barbecue? Yeah, pretty much every morning I look out there, I'm like, oh my God, why are these people here? There's too many people. And I never, I pretty much say that to at least one person every single morning. Is it a good ego boost for you? I mean, you know, just between you and me and the fence post to see that many people showing up for your food, that's really got to make you feel good. I don't really have much of an ego, but um, it is a little nerve-wracking. You know, the I think the thing that I think about more is that all these people are standing out there, and if I mess up a batch of ribs, <laughs> or I screw something up, or I, God forbid, fall asleep on a stack of wood, um, these people have already been waiting for several hours. So it's not like they show up after the food's ready and we know it's good. They're showing up before the food's ready. Let me ask you this quick question in the chat room from uh, Steve Rodriguez, and he wants me to ask you, Aaron, how the raise in meat prices might hurt the barbecue industry. you have any thoughts on that? It's very painful. Um, brisket right now is sitting at about 60% food cost for me, um, and that is absurdly high. But we're using all-natural stuff, so our stuff's a little more expensive than commodity for sure but you can only charge so much at the same time. And then if we charged 
a proportionate amount, I would feel guilty about it. So, yeah, the, uh, the raising beef prices are, are pretty hard. Have you ever gotten into that? You know, you, you watch the, the TV shows. Uh, we'll get into that here in a second. But uh, And it seems like on the competition circuit, you see that rise in the Wagyu briskets. Is that something that you guys have ever toyed around with, or would that really put the, the price point too far? No, it's way too expensive, and I really don't even think it's that good to begin with. Really? Um, it just, in my opinion, from breed to breed, I, I think Angus has the beefiest flavor. Um, I think it's more consistent. Uh, Wagyu, for a restaurant setting, you you can never make that work. It cooks down too much. It's got way too much fat. They're way too expensive. They're beautiful, and you have a huge window, window of air in cooking it, but they're just so expensive, and they don't really taste like anything. So best to stay away from something that doesn't really taste like anything, right? Yeah, I, I don't really mess with them. Sometimes I do them for events just for fun, but it's really nothing that I would ever consider. When you are voted best barbecue in Texas, obviously great honor. Uh, you're obviously doing something right when you get that distinction. Yeah, but who's really saying that? That's just weird. Who cares? You know how many times I've been voted best barbecue talk show on the internet? Zero times. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Nevertheless, um, when you hear that or when that comes down, does that add any extra pressure on you to kind of live up to that billing every day, uh, whether you oh, think you deserve yeah. it or not, or or not? Well, it's a ton of pressure because as people hear all these things, then the the expectations can become. So unrealistic that you could never measure up to that sometimes in theory. So yeah, it's a uh, it, it's a lot to deal with, but at the same time, you know, we just do the best we can and and keep our fingers crossed. Anybody can have a good day and anybody can have a bad cook. So does it uh, does it or has it ever kept you up? At I mean, it sounds like you get very little sleep anyway if you're getting up to go to work at one forty-five in the morning. But uh, you know, for that forty-five minutes during the day where you might get to sleep, has it uh, affected your ability to, to catch rest and, and the pressure on your shoulders? Not so much anymore. I, I've learned how to deal with it a lot better. Um, I'd say the first year and a half of of the trailer and the beginning of the building, it was. Uh, I would certainly lose some sleep worrying about stuff, but eh, you can only do so much. Aaron Franklin joining Enjoy me here. Life. Sorry, Aaron. Uh, Aaron Franklin joining me here on the show. FranklinBarbecue.com, the website, if you want to check it out here while we're chatting. You know, in regards to the restaurant, uh, a two-headed question. Uh, a, is it something that you see yourself kind of doing forever? And then, if so, do you see multiple locations at some point? Well, the forever question, that's hard to say. Right now, Everyone that's there is in their mid to late 30s. Um, one day we're going to get old. <laughs> we're, uh, we're physically breaking down pretty quickly over here. Um, so I don't, know what the, I don't know what the forever thing is going to be. I don't think I could physically handle this when I'm in, I don't know, say 10 years from now. And I don't think I'll ever feel comfortable enough having other people run it because I just don't think quality would stay there. So I don't know. Who knows? You don't uh, foresee yourself 30 years from now uh, having some uh, Texas food photographer come around and take pictures of you tending the pit like uh, some of the other ones I've seen over the years? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, uh, if, if I'm actually fiddling with a fire, sure, go for it. But otherwise, whoever's working that fire can, can take it. And uh, I, know, I do know for sure we'll never have any more locations. 
one is more than enough to keep up with. And we're so more concentrated on quality over quantity and we're really not in this for the money. So uh, I think I think the one location is enough and we'll do the best we can. Talk to me just for a second before we go to this break about uh, the flavors that you use on your food, the profiles, and have they changed over the years that you've been in business? Well, they have changed. Everything kind of evolves, and, and as I learn how to cook things differently or, or better or try new things that I like or, or dislike, so things definitely change a little bit, but for the most part, everything stayed pretty much the same. Most of our flavors coming from post oak that we use and you know we don't really over season anything we're uh, pretty conservative on on rubs and everything trying to get kind of accentuate the natural flavors of the meat but not overpower anything in regards to rubs is it all stuff that you make there in the shop or uh, will you buy commercially made stuff no no, no. everything stays at the store uh, ever thought about uh, getting those to market well, I've thought about it, but I feel kind of guilty selling salt and pepper. <laughs> Everybody and their mother has uh, rubs out right now. I mean, you're missing out on a revenue stream, Aaron. I mean, jump aboard. I know it. I've been anxiously awaiting this particular cocktail time segment for some time now. So without further ado... It's my favorite. It's your favorite. It's the segment sweeping the proverbial nation and globe. It's cocktail time. All right, so let's get this camera set up and my wireless microphone set up. All right. Second there, I lost my uh, uh, microphone there. All right, so tonight is a drink that brings me great joy, one that I have been waiting for some time now to do what's called the Ward Four. Except when you're in my house or Euclid Avenue or cities kind of uh, heading west into downtown Cleveland, then it's a Section 8. It's a little play on words. It has nothing to do with 4 and 8 being divisible by each other. Not at all. But here's how you do it. First of all, Go out and give yourself a, uh, a chance to buy at least a case, if not four cases of this. It's three olives, uh, very berry brand uh, flavored vodka. Uh, some of you might think that's for girls or it's fruity. It's fruity. There's no doubt about it. However, it's really the most key component of this drink. There's only one, well, two if you count the ice, but there's only one other component of the drink that makes it really the Ward 4 or the Section 8. For tonight's purposes, it'll be Section 8. But we have to give proper homage, respect, and credit to a man who is helping better a city over from us in Wycliffe, Ohio. He is a Ward 4 councilman for what the name uh, of the drink is named after. Uh, Ed LeVon is the, uh, the honorary namesake of this drink. So without further ado, let's go ahead and make this drink right from the get-go. First, tall Turvis tumbler. Of course, we love the Turvis tumbler because it's two glasses in one. It's got an inner shell. It's got an outer shell. The outer shell helping it from leaving uh, sweat rings on wood. People will shoot you in certain houses if you leave sweat rings on the wood. You don't want that. So, load this bad boy up with some ice. Yeah. Now, 
you, you know, you recall in a lot of these other drinks, I'm a big ice pour. Love to use a lot of ice. Um, this one I really try and be careful with because I want to maximize my liquor input. And on this drink, it's key. So here's our uh, three ounce. Uh, again, not big on the what's the ounce. I say you're safe with anything 60% or below. Um, and I'm going to tell you why that is. A lot of people would freak out if we were, if we were using any other liquor aside from berry at vodka here. So let's go ahead. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right. That's probably a little light, but I'm hosting a show for crying out loud, so give me a break. And now we'll go into the refrigerator and we will uh, fetch our lemonade. Any lemonade can be used, whatever you like. And then you just go ahead and top it off. Boom. We'll return it back to the refrigerator where it stays cold. I say always make four quarts because while you think you might not drink as many of these, these are gonna go down like hot cakes in a good way. Not hot, very cool. So we'll take a sip of the ward for it. refreshing and here's the best part if there was any like residual liquor flavor that you would get if you were just to drink this straight I'm not a big vodka guy by any stretch you could probably put very berry on ice and drink it straight the lemonade that you add to this cuts the liquor right out of it so in layman's terms you can punch your ticket to shitfaceville on the express train with this drink so it's award for very berry vodka turvis tumbler tall ice lemonade that's all it is. All right, let's head back to the console of broadcast excellence here. I'm going to continue to enjoy my Ward 4, of course. Gotta try, ladies and gentlemen, you gotta try the Ward 4. Absolutely. 